Uh, but whenever I see someone who's the master of their craft, I just I watch and I listen in awe. And one thing that's true of elite musicians is they have done simple tasks so many times that they don't have to think about them. It's just muscle memory baked into their DNA. And so when you look at a concert violinist, uh, they don't have to think about how to hold the bow or how to grab the violin or how to place it uh, un under their chin. They just know, and they do it right every time, and then they make beautiful music out of it. If you were watching a concert violinist, and you saw this person hold their violin with the strings facing the ground and then tried to play from the other side upside down, you would think there's something wrong with that violinist. They might say, I've been playing violin for 25 years, but this, this isn't right. There's a certain, we know there's a right way to play the violin. There's a wrong way to play the violin. Uh, and in that same way, that same mentality, the idea of muscle memory, something being repeated so often, it's just second nature, that's the way love is to the Christian. Just like a concert violinist has tens of thousands of times picked up a bow and a violin, so the Christian, every day that they walk with Jesus, lives and thinks as a person of love. Uh, a common critique of the book of 1 John is that it's too repetitious. John does revisit the same themes over and over again throughout this short letter. Uh, and today and next Sunday, he's got one thing on his mind. That's the issue of love. This passage and the next passage combine to make John's most intense writing on the subject of love for one another. And he talks about it so much throughout this letter. Why? Well, he knows the human heart. And he knows how quickly we forget things. And he knows it takes endless repetition to develop the kind of muscle memory that makes love an automatic response to another human being. And how important is John's message about love today? No one's talking about love. We seem to care very little, in fact, about love. Anger, rather, is consuming our lives. Anger runs political campaigns. Anger tells the news. Anger is the vast majority of social media. And in our churches, where God has clearly said love should reign, we are looking and sounding more and more like the angry world. And the church that sounds like the world is a broken church. And the Christian who doesn't love is a broken Christian. In the ten verses we study today, John mentions the word love 14 times. Could be as many as 16, depending on how you count. And in the passage we study next week, he's going to mention the word love 16 times. He's not going to stop until he has driven into our heads and hearts the importance of loving one another. I'm more convinced than ever that love is what will change our lives and will change our world. And I hope to convince you of the same thing today. So my purpose in preaching this passage is to supply you with the motivation to live a life of love. Make no mistake, the world will call you foolish. The world will call this conviction weak. But God has called it power. God has called it his way and the way of the church. So do you wish your life or our world looked different John gives us two reasons why you and I should choose love over hate. I want you to follow along with me as I read 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. John says this, Dear friends, 
Let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love is revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. This is a passage about motivation. John is telling us why we should love one another. The opening line of verse 7 sets the stage. Dear friends, let us love one another because. And everything that follows that because is the reason why we should love one another. And because we are English readers and not Greek readers, we miss out on the importance of this for John from the very first words. The words translated dear friends is actually a Greek word that means beloved. And the word love is in that word. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Since you're loved, we're to love one another. And I want to convince you that what John tells us to do today is the only way for God's people to live. Let me show you two reasons why you and I should love one another. The first reason is this. Love is our essential response to God's love for us. Our love to others is our essential response to our experience, our reception, of God's love to us. Now, in order to make his case, John actually gives us quite a few reasons why we should love one another. I'm I'm grouping them just into these two large categories this morning uh, just for the sake of our understanding. So if we think about God's love to us, our essential response then is to love one another. Start with me by looking at verse 11. Verse 11 concludes this one brief little section And John makes a concluding statement. He says, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. So that begs the question, then, how has God loved us? If God loved us in this way, we should love one another. Well, what's the this way? How did God love us? Well, John tells us first in verse 8, God is love. When John says God is love, what he means is that love is an essential attribute of God. Love is something true about God, but love is not God. There's a difference there. So John's describing who God is in his being, just as other writers do with words like just or holy or faithful or true. God is all of those things, but those things are not God. The same is true of love. And what is God's love for you like? Well, God's love for us is uncaused, and it is undeserved. What I mean by that is there's not some emptiness in God that requires him to love, nor is there some greatness in us that makes us eminently desirable. Rather, God 
himself is the reason for the love that he shows us. And because God loves us out of his own being, then we can make sense of what his love is like based on his other attributes. So we can know that because God is self-existent, his love has no beginning. And because he's eternal, his love has no end. And because he's infinite, his love has no limit. And because he's holy, his love is the very essence of purity. And because he's immense, his love is incomprehensibly vast. You have been loved by the God who is love. And so if love is not the defining characteristic of your life, there's a problem. If our lives are defined by anger, bitterness, outrage, selfishness, then we're not living in line with the very essence of our God who is himself love. If John said God is rage, well, then we could justify being consumed by anger. If John said God is war, then we could justify militarizing ourselves and taking up arms. But he said God is love. And if that's who God is, that's who we should be also. John continues on to once again state that God's love for us is not a theoretical love. God doesn't love us just as an idea. He's shown that in the physical world. It's a love of action. Look at verse 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent his one and only son. To say God sent is to say that God the Father knew what would happen to God the Son. He knew that he would die. He knew this because he ordained it. The Son was not sent as a spectator. He wasn't sent as a reporter. He was sent as a sacrifice. He was sent to die. God sent his one and only son. Your Bible translation might read his only begotten son. This is to say that Jesus is unique. There is no other like him. He's not a created son, but he is God the son eternal through whom all things were made. To call Jesus the one and only son of God is to speak of how special the gift of his life was, how costly that gift was. And what did the gift of the Son accomplish? John says that God sent his Son so that we might have life through him. God the Father sent God the Son to die for sinful people so that we might live through him. And John isn't done in verse 9 describing the majesty of God's love for us. He continues in verse 10. Look at it with me. He says, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. There's a phrase of vital importance here in verse 10. Um, I've read it as atoning sacrifice. Your Bible might say propitiation. Uh, It's an important word that you should learn as part of your discipleship. There's a lot of theological words that we learn just to be pretentious. This one, I think it's for every follower of Christ to know. Let me give you a simple definition of the word propitiation. Or the phrase in your Bible, again, it might be sacrifice of atonement. It means this. It means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end and in so doing changes God's wrath towards us into favor. 
Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us we are by nature objects of wrath because of the sin that we do and the sinners that we are. We are objects of God's wrath because He is holy, 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 and we are thoroughly sinners and rebels against His holiness. We deserve God's judgment. Sin is not a small thing because it's not against a small God. The seriousness of an insult rises with the dignity of the one insulted. When I was in junior high, if you insulted my brother, no big deal. He's a dummy. But if you insulted my mama, big deal. You don't insult mama. The, the, the intensity of an insult rises with the dignity of the person insulted. And God, the creator of the universe, is infinitely worthy of respect and admiration and loyalty Therefore, failure to love him is not a trivial thing. It is treason. There's this holy curse that hangs over all of our sin. And if God were not to punish it, he would be unjust. The demeaning of God would be endorsed. He would turn out to actually be a liar. God must punish sin. However, God is not satisfied to exercise only wrath, no matter how just the punishment would be. Remember, God is love. Therefore, God sent his own son to absorb his wrath and to bear the curse for all who believe in him. And this is the meaning of the word propitiation. When Jesus hangs on the cross and dies there, he doesn't just die a physical death. He dies a spiritual death. He takes on himself the sins of all those he would save. The sinless, perfectly righteous, holy Son of God becomes a liar and a murderer and a thief and every vile thing on this decaying planet. And he takes that curse from us. He drank in full the wrath of God on our sin so that you could be blessed and be righteous and be holy and stand before God without fear to receive his gift of eternal life. That's what propitiation means. That's what God's love for you is like. He gave his son for your salvation. So in John's description of love, there's these two unmovable ways of understanding what love looks like. Two key factors. One is self-sacrifice. Second, it's for the benefit of someone else. What do we learn about love from, our, the, from the love God has given us through the Son? Love is self-sacrifice for the benefit of another. It's self-sacrifice for the benefit of another. It can be nothing else. It's not self-serving. It is self-sacrificing. It's not for my benefit. It's for the benefit of someone else. And that's why John concludes in verse 11, 11 in this little section... Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. If he sent the Son as the atoning sacrifice for our sin, how can we not love each other? How can we justify any other way of living among human beings than the way God has loved us? So why should we choose to live our lives marked by self-sacrifice for the benefit of others? Well, because our God is love, and Jesus sacrificed himself for our benefit. There's no other way for children of God to live. There's a second reason John gives us for why we should live lives of love. The second reason is that love is how God is made known in the world. Love is how God is made known in the world. So the first half of this passage 
focuses on our personal experience with God's love. The second half of this passage focuses on God's love moving from an inner experience to an outer proclamation and from an experience within the church to an experience in the world. And John does this by taking us through a series of statements that build the case for his point. So first of all, he begins in verse 12 by making this statement, no one has ever seen God. Seems like a really random thing to say. It's, I had a friend say recently, John really could have used an editor. And so on a surface level reading, we might think, hey, this, what is this phrase here? What does it have to do with anything? Just out of the blue, no one's ever seen God. But remember, this is one part of a larger argument he's made. He just states the fact upright, up front that we have this God who is an invisible God. No one's ever seen him. So what does that mean for us? He continues. Second point he makes. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. So we don't see God with our eyes. But if we love one another, that's the condition. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. He's unseen, but he's not distant. He's unseen, but he's not far away. He's in us, remains in us whenever we love one another. Third, the invisible God is maturing his love in us. As we love one another, according to verse 13, he says he has given us of his spirit. So God's unseen. If we love one another, he remains in us. His love's made complete. To say his love's made complete is to say that love is, is perfected or it's matured completely. And then, look, he abides in us by his spirit. God the Holy Spirit indwells us. So the God who's unseen indwells in us by his spirit. And as we love one another, he's maturing his love in us. And then in verse 14, John says, We have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. So, so look, don't miss this. Verse 12, no one's ever seen God. Verse 14, but we've seen and we testify. Well, what has John seen? Well, he's seen the power of God manifest in the community of faith when we love one another. That's what he's seen. And these are the very words he opens this letter with. Chapter 1, verse 1. He says, what was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed, and what we have touched with our hands, we testify and declare to you. So he's seen the power of God manifest in the world through the lives of people who believe in Jesus and love each other. That's the substance of his declaration to the world. In verse 10, just a moment ago, he stated the truth that saves us. God sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now in verse 14, he states the truth that saves the world. The father has sent his son as the world's savior. Those aren't two different messages, they're the same, but there's two different audiences. He's speaking of the power of the gospel to rescue those who are not yet a part of the family of faith, those who will hear the gospel and believe, who will see what we've seen when they see God's people love each other and love the world. What's John's big point in all of this? His big point is that although God is unseen and invisible, he's seen in our love for one another and our testimony to the world. Now, throughout the history of the church, there have been heated debates about God's manifest presence, especially as it relates 
say, to the Lord's Supper. Broad schools of thought on the presence of Christ at the Lord's Supper. Roman Catholic Church teaches that the elements become the actual physical body and blood of Jesus Christ. Luther said, no, that's ridiculous. He doesn't become the actual, this isn't his actual body, but rather Christ's body is with the elements in some physical way. It's not the elements, but his physical body is with the elements in some way. Calvin said, that's ridiculous. Calvin said, no, Christ is present in a spiritual sense at the Lord's Supper. We've got all these different ways of thinking about Christ's presence in an act of worship like the Lord's Supper. It's ironic we've made such a fuss about Christ's presence in the Lord's Supper or Christ's presence in baptism or Christ's presence with his word. And the whole time we've ignored this obvious teaching from God, he is present in our love for one another. Don't you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20? For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. How does the world see God? They see him through the word of our testimony and our love for one another. When we live self-sacrificially for the benefit of others, they see Christ present. They hear his voice. They hear his invitation. They see his love. And so why should you love other people through self-sacrifice for the benefit of others? This is how we fulfill the Great Commission It's how we fulfill the mission of our church to make disciples for Christ from people of the South Shore and beyond. This is how God is made known in a world full of anger and hate and sin and death. So of all the ways you could choose to live your life, why would you choose the way of love? If the world would mock you for it, we would laugh a politician off the stage if they said we need to love each other. Be mocked into oblivion. If the world finds this weak and lousy and embarrassing, puts no value in it at all, why would you, little Christian, why would you choose the way of love? We've got two reasons from John this morning. First of all, this is how we respond to God's love for us. And second, that's the kind of love that makes God known in the world. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is this. Am I a loving person? The question is not, are you a nice person? Am I a loving person the way God has shown me love? Are you bent towards self-sacrifice for the benefit of others? You don't, don't look far, just look at home. If you're a married person, do you love your spouse with self-sacrificial love? For their benefit. If you're a parent, do you love your kids with the self-sacrificial love of Christ? Who are you at work or with your neighbors or with your church? Do you love people with the self-sacrificial love of Christ? You don't have to. No one expects it of you in the current climate of things. You can be a Christian and you can be mean. But is there anything more appealing on plan- unappealing on planet Earth than a mean Christian? Some Christians try to justify their abrasiveness by saying, I'm just telling the truth. It's not my fault if people are offended by the truth. Here's the truth for you. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is 
not rude. Let me repeat that. Is not rude. Is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Are there things that Christians should be angry about? Of course there are. But our response to those things and those people that rouse our anger is always self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. What if you don't have this kind of demeanor in you? What if you're a Christian who's been consumed by anger? What if you're not even convinced by John? Well, then here's my challenge to you. Because I, there's no other way for us to be a church than this. No other way for us to be people of Christ than this. This is, this is Christianity 101. Just like a violinist will hold the violin upright, being a person who loves self-sacrificially for the benefit of others is the very heartbeat of the people of God. We don't have a choice in this. This is who we are and must be. And so what should you do if you look to your heart and your life and you realize that's not the way I'm living today. That's not who I am. Here's my challenge to you. Every day this week, I want you to set aside time and read an account of the crucifixion of Christ. You can find it in four different places in the Gospels, Matthew 27 or Mark 15 or Luke 23 or John 19. I want you every day this week to sit and read. Set, if you're doing a, another Bible reading plan, just set that aside for now. And every day this week, I want you to sit with Christ on his cross. And as you see Christ on his cross, you will not be able to remain unchanged or hardened in your bitterness and anger when you see again his love for you and what he's done for you you'll become a person who loves the way you've been loved let's practice now so I just want you to listen quietly as I read from Luke chapter 23 two others criminals were also led away to be executed with him when they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished unjustly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtains of the sanctuary were split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. And so, brothers and sisters of South Shore Baptist Church, Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so, beloved, if God loved us in this way, 
we also must love one another. And if you're not a Christian, do you realize how much God loves you? How great his love for you is? It's common for people to think that God is only angry at them, but the Bible is clear. God loves you. He's done everything necessary to save you from your sin and its penalty. You've seen that today as we've talked about Jesus as our propitiation, our atoning sacrifice. You don't have to take that burden on yourself. That's why Christ died in your place and three days later rose from the dead so that if you would turn from your sin and put your trust in him, you would have everlasting life. There's a reason the cross behind me is empty. It speaks hope and new life in the risen Christ. And today, I implore you, say yes to Jesus. Let him love you to the fullest, forgive you of your sin, and give you eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, I don't know how to thank you for the love that you have given us. Uh, English seems too limiting, words uh, far too little. But Father, with what we have in us, we praise your name, we exalt you, we thank you, we, we attach our lives to yours because you have loved us in such a rich way. And in such a full way. Your love is not theoretical, hypothetical, but it's a love demonstrated through the gift of your son who died for our sins. God, make us people who love the way we've been loved. And that's been so hard for us. The whole world is enraged because you've shown us a different way, a better way. Let us fulfill the mission you've given us to do, not by yelling louder by the rest of the world that's angry, but by loving the way we've been loved, self-sacrificially for the benefit of others. Among ourselves, and especially with whoever we would consider our enemies, help us to love the way we've been loved so that the gospel would be heard, so that your presence would be seen and lives would be transformed. Father, we confess that our voice has sounded like the voice of the world. We have tried to sanctify our anger over small things. We have not trusted your call to love. Holy Spirit, lead us in our repentance that we would walk in the way of love. For friends in here that don't know you as their Savior, let this be the day that their hearts are awakened, that they see finally your love for them and embrace you as our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.